Hello, I'm Stuart Chittenden, and this is Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. My guest today is Jamie Visay. For nearly 30 years, Jamie Visay has been involved in film-related endeavors, including many as a location scout and manager, production supervisor, and as producer. He has collaborated with filmmakers, photographers, advertising agencies, and creatives in a production support role. Jamie was first hired as a special effects assistant on the film Avalon. After five movies in FX, he transitioned into a locations role on over 500 TV commercials, and other notable films, Nebraska, About Schmidt, Up in the Air, and Downsizing as well as music videos with Lady Gaga, Nickelback, and Reba McIntyre. Jamie, uh, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So describe this art and or craft of location scouting. Location scouting, location scout, the occupation of, and it is an occupation, is finding locations for filming, sometimes photography, for filmmakers, photographers, creatives, where it is not a built set for the show. It literally is from A to Z, from the next house, the next building, the next field, farm, what have you. In my opinion, it's kind of a underappreciated craft and part of the process, certainly in movie making. Uh, there is no Academy Award for it. There is no uh, recognition from it, from any kind of organization. There is a Location Managers Guild International, hope I got that right, that is a, uh, not a union, but an organization that collects the collaborators known as Location Scouts and Location Managers. But uh, location scouting is an intricate part of the process. Uh, I wish more new filmmakers would understand it and share the joys of collaborating with a location scout. So I think that's an interesting word that you use, collaboration, because it seems to me when I think maybe a little more prosaically as someone who just appreciates film and isn't involved in the work of, of this kind of endeavor, it seems to me that the location itself on the screen speaks to the aesthetic emotional tone that a film is able to produce, which I think must emphasize that word collaboration between you and you and the director. So the aesthetic, but then also just the pure logistics. That's correct. A vast amount of elements go into decision-making with selecting one location. Uh, it, it begins where back in the beginning where someone has written it in a script. Now, what is the budget that we have? Is this going to be a location or is this going to be a set that's going to be built? And then it is, is it creatively? What, what does it look like? Is it, is it a period piece? Is it not? Is it uh, science fiction? And then your chief collaborator alongside the director is the production designer. And on a movie, most times the location scouts 
are answering more to the production designer than they are the director. Because ultimately the production designer's job is to provide what the locations and the sets will look like. Then they're collaborating with the cinematographer to capture the best part of that location or that set. Now to your point about practicality, there's many boxes I check when looking at a location. Say for a house, for example. First of all, it's the look. Then it's the scope and scale of it. Will a crew of five fit in this house? Will a crew of 50 fit in this house? Is this house safe? If, say, for instance, uh, on the movie Nebraska, elements such as safety were forefront because these homes, existing locations of abandoned houses, were, uh, you know, often in tough shape. And that could be everything from supporting the weight of human beings and equipment to environmental. Um, so safety. And then, yes, practicality of where is that crew of 50 going to park? Where are all the vehicles going to park? Uh, an often overlooked element is sound. If you're running sound and your ideal location is right next to the airport or the train passing by every four minutes, maybe that's not a great choice. But there's tricks to the trade about getting around certain things, but uh, certainly safety should never be second-guessed. So there's, those are a few elements, but yes, all of the things you said, plus plus. I'm wondering if you have an encyclopedic mental or maybe physical virtual database of places. It's ingrained in you that whenever you see a place, either informally or formally as part of this location scouting work, that you're compiling this massive compendium of locations that you might be able to, uh, to, to use for a specific project or just generally. Yes, the short answer is. Uh, I've, I've tried all of the database software and the massive Excel spreadsheet and archiving, and uh, I have failed at all of those. Uh, what works best for me, and this is just me, and my colleagues may disagree, but it is exactly that. The majority of it is in my head, and I can recall many things. I, you go aside, I am so good, especially with our state, that I can pick out exactly where somebody may even share, say, an image of. Here's what we're looking for. I know where that is. Here's the kind of house we're looking for. I have that. Uh, if something that comes down the, the, the pike that is a total new find required, um, well, then that's what we do. But, um, yes, it, it takes that. That's another skill set that is an uh, important part of it. I took a photograph three years ago of a barn on a small side road in Nebraska and then pushed it out on social media. People liked the image, but you were the only person that said, I think I know that, and you named the highway and the town that it was nearby. <laughs> I think I remember that, yes. <laughs>
I've heard you talk before about getting in a car and traveling with a film director. And in this case, I'm thinking of Alexander Payne. And I think it was for the film Nebraska. Because that film, given its title, is about, in part, a journey through the state. My understanding is that, that you traveled with Alexander Payne for the purpose of identifying the locations that you wanted to suggest and he wanted to possibly use. So is that correct? And, and what was that experience like? Uh, yes. Uh, it's, it's, if, if there was a label to it, it would be called a director's scout. Uh, this is where the director gets to go out and see the lay of the land and be inspired and see what exists in those particular areas. In that case with Nebraska, we, we did a director's scout sort of to the, the way that happened in a movie where they do a road trip from Billings, Montana to uh, small town Nebraska. And it was myself, the director, Alexander, uh, and uh, the other key collaborator, the production designer, Dennis Washington. I am DB, that guy. But it was fantastic. And it's, it's ultimately, uh, I could say professionally, a high point. Uh, it was a week from driving uh, that distance. Uh, it was sort of open forum, yet we did have certain certain things we were looking for. Alexander's type of director that uh, in, in the location scout process, you're looking at a script, you're reading a script, you're doing a breakdown in the script of where the locations, what locations are needed, where you might be able to double some of those locations. Uh, if back to the budget and back to the producer saying we're only going to shoot in X state or uh, see if you could find that particular location in that city so we can double it. So you always have that. So I showed up in Billings with my list and I pull out my list of here's where I think we should go and Alexander just shut me down quickly by saying let's just get in the car and drive. And that's what we did. And it was uh, an education for me. Uh, you're always learning. And he's also the type of director that we, uh, he's not locked into a very specific type of location. For example, in, it was scripted that they stop along the way in Wyoming or Montana at a truck stop. And it was scripted as a truck stop. So we had looked at truck stops around the greater Omaha area and some of the typical ones that the locals will recognize. And it just was not the right vibe. So that was still on our list uh, before we started. And somewhere in Wyoming, uh, we were running out of gas. And I pulled in at a total random spot. It was a gas station slash bait store slash bar and he loved it and he said this is it and that's how we found it by accident and it was in the movie so those kind of things happen and he's he's in my opinion he's an exceptional director to work with because of that he's also a believer in hiring people who do their jobs well and is not afraid to say what do you think and respects your professional opinion and I could say to him I think at this point in my career that when I can say we can do better we move on and he's it's it's a mutual respect 
which is great. I would imagine that you, more than many of us, are attuned to a sense of place and also a sense of people. I'm wondering, therefore, if you do feel as a location scout, as if your eye and the way you encounter the world and you let it encounter you is, is maybe a little more nuanced, maybe a little more focused or amplified. How, is, is there a difference in how you see the world? Seeing the world specifically with a location scout's eyes, yes. I'm a big fan of, of good design and of everything, from things you hold and touch to homes to a scenic view, the inside of a restaurant. From Again, I'm, I'm location scouting life. Maybe that's the new title of my book. Uh, many of the same boxes I'm checking when I go on a location scout are happening by default when I walk into a restaurant or go on vacation or have a conversation. And... We can't hear each other talk. Why don't we sit near a window where there's better light? Such like that. Now, to those who aren't thinking like this, which is probably most of your audience, uh, they probably think I'm crazy, but this is, this, this is my dread. To answer your question, sure, yeah, I, 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 I do that, for starters. But then it's meeting people and looking at the world in general, um, I just strive for better and a higher bar wherever I go and whoever I meet. And I'm interested in you uh, if you're talking to me, but be interesting. Uh, I'm interested. Tell me everything. Show me your best work. Back to filmmaking. Why aren't we shooting in the best place as opposed to something you've conceded to shooting because uh, this will be fine? Why not serve me your best meal in your restaurant? Give me less, charge me less. Little things like that. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm details. I think that's what makes me a producer too, uh, which sometimes I do. It's these little details. Some of what you've described sounds less singularly attached to location scouting and perhaps an ethos that you have, a value that you have about life, which is give me the best, do the best, don't accept second best. Why is it the good life? Why is it not the great life? Is, is that fair? Or is I, I think so. Um, I, I'm also a believer in not being so analytical also. There's a time and place for that as well. 
there, there's, a, there's a time and place for working very hard at doing anything. There's also a time and place for doing absolutely nothing and relaxing and enjoying that, which I'm also a fan. <laughs> <laughs> we put too much pressure on ourselves yeah. for, for things. Yeah. Uh, what food we eat, the work we do, the hours we need to be doing something. Talk about your upbringing and perhaps give us a context, some sense of, um, you know, the forces and the experiences that shaped you. So tell us a little more about your upbringing. I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and it was small enough, similar to most small towns in the United States, where certainly everybody knew each other. Um, there was all the throes of good, mostly blue-collar family, blue-collar town. And I got to experience a lot. I was recently talking to a friend of mine who was uh, having a hard time with one of his kids not going outside. And it's like the, it's become almost a cliche of uh, we need to get our kids to exercise more and they're at the computer. And and I just was reflecting on how many games I played as a kid and things I did from some of the basics of baseball and football and wiffle ball and playing street hockey and stuff to all these other obscure games. And I, I, I ran out of like at 30 things that I was, give, I was doing at any given moment. And it was great. I mean, it was a great upbringing. And, you know, that I start talking like that and now I sound like the old timer. But... I look back on my upbringing as being good enough that it has established a work ethic, a personality that makes me deal with people using the basics of manners, respect, uh, loyalty to people, friendships, and I certainly think it carried over in, in my life. Uh, of the times that I am funny, I credit my mother because she was a very funny person. And she was dry. She had that dry humor. And she would often, you know, just lay the punchline in and you didn't know it was coming. So she was great. Um, she was uh, Irish, Catholic, and just so had all those jokes as well. My father was a blue-collar dragline operator in the coal fields, which uh, the definition of that is, I guess Google it um, uh, before I try to explain it, but uh, it was a big, large piece of heavy equipment, and uh, he worked hard and worked all kinds of shifts and was working a lot, and uh, probably taught me about doing and working. 
so yeah, I think I think the short answer is my upbringing definitely reflects on my adult life and the way I live my life. So I have this, you know, this image of you know working class Appalachian town, and I know you're one of several siblings. I wonder if, to what extent, this independence and autonomy and playfulness and experience of the outdoor world has also shaped how you see your career and uh, what you enjoy in life? I don't think this is the right answer, but but uh, one thing that about growing up in this county, this town where I grew up, there was always this sense of work in life will suck. Work in life will not be good. It's hard to work for a living. Most people hate it. And don't anticipate ever finding a job you will ever like. So there was that. And whether that was said out loud or just subconsciously promoted, it was there. You become a cliche. You uh, don't go to college, work at the factory or work in the mine, have three or four kids before you're 28, probably get divorced, lots of drinking, 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 and you settle. And I don't know what it is in me. I've always felt like there's got to be something else out there or better or a different way of living. Uh, so I, I, I started to travel and just, you know, you get around different places and see other worlds and um, you learn that, yes, indeed there is. It wasn't until I worked on my first movie that, as a, as a special effects guy, which is a whole other story, but it wasn't until I started working on my first movie and was enraptured in this world that I was now being paid to be there in, realizing you can enjoy what you do for a living. You can enjoy a job if you're passionate about it and it's something that you know how to do. Also, there's other things in life, wherever you choose to live, that exist. Whereas if you're living currently in a place where the things that you'd like to do don't exist, you should move there. Sometimes I ask myself, I don't really like winter. I kind of like the mountains. I like to be near the water. Why do I live in Nebraska again? But what balances that is, is the people and the quality of life and the values that are within the community.
did you stumble into what turned out to be a realization that you could have work that you really enjoyed, which was your first movie, Avalon. So how did you stumble into that and realize, ah, this is something I can do and love? When I was a kid, I would look at movies and watch the end credits and were convinced the names that were in the credits weren't real people. I would, I would find myself asking, if they are real people, where does this world exist? But then I would go back to playing my games and playing with my friends and, and just being a kid and never thinking, I want to be a filmmaker. I want to be working in the movie business. Never, never on my radar. Just, again, maybe it was back to that thing of don't aim too high, work here, don't try to grow. Don't know. But one day I got a call from a cousin who knew somebody that knew somebody that was working on a movie in Baltimore, Maryland, and it's not too far from where I, where I was living in Pennsylvania, and said to me, do you want to work on this special effects crew of a movie? And I said, I don't know what that means, but yes. And he granted me an interview. He, he got me an interview, a sit-down with, with this gentleman, and his name is Alan Hall, and you can IMDB him as well, Alan Hall. And uh, before you know it, I was moving to Baltimore, Maryland and working on the preparation of this major motion picture called Avalon. I never really stopped along the way to figure out how did I get here, but I knew it was a great slice of life karma and there was more of those to come. It was then when I was working on this first movie and I tell people working on that first movie was a blessing and a curse. Blessing is that it was a major motion picture and large budget and had all the tools and massive amount of stars and it was a period piece that went from 1916 to 1969 so every day you show up on set it's a different day it's almost like it's a different movie and I've got film school and relationships building and all the things you need to learn about to work in a business in one movie and still paused to say I don't believe they're paying me to do this, but I'm not going to say anything. And it went from there. And you establish relationships as you go. It's contacts, contacts, contacts. And that's how I eventually got into it. And that's how I maintain my relationship in it. But uh, there, was, there was never a, a career track. There was never a uh, film school. There was never a, uh, an aspiration until I got in it. Well, the location scouting thing and the tail end of that previous story is that 
working on the special effects crew, and this is old school special effects, rain, snow, making smoke, shooting the stuntman, blowing things up. Uh, in the movie Avalon, I'm inside the burning building, uh, stuff like that. But as fun as that all sounds, which it was, I was convinced I had some sort of production mind. I didn't know exactly where I would fit, but I would watch every department work. Could I maybe do that? Could I maybe work in production design or art department? Could I be an assistant director? Could I be a producer? And one day when I was dragging a wet, dirty fire hose through somebody's house in Baltimore, and the location manager was having words with the homeowner, I said then, well, I know I don't want to be a location guy. Another lesson in life, you should never say never. And it wasn't until I moved to Nebraska years later that a producer visiting Nebraska to shoot said to me, you should do location scout work because it's the first call that a project makes. And I told him the story of Avalon and he said, that's nonsense. I decided then, yeah, I would, I would do more location scout. And he was right. Uh, it is the first call is made. I traditionally will get more days on any particular project, uh, days of work. And um, as it turns out, I'm pretty good at it. So it's, it's, it's all good and it all came to be. I, I, I came to Nebraska from Los Angeles. I was living in Los Angeles. Oddly enough, small world again, my cousin, same cousin who got me in and got me the meeting, was working in Lincoln, uh, not in a business. He, he was uh, uh, worked for an uh, American tool company. And he called me one day, and, and I was in Los Angeles in between uh, jobs, which is code for being in between jobs. And he said, what, do you, what, do you, what do you, are you working? And no, uh, why don't you come out to Nebraska, see another part of the world, and we'll play some golf. And... Uh, yeah, and so I did. I said, sure, I, I like that. I, you can never see enough places. And if you have the time and the, the uh, energy and the resources to do so, do, do that. Uh, and I did, and I had no inkling of ever moving here. I admittedly played into the cliche of never being to Nebraska and was convinced I would be driving around Buffalo and, you know, all those stereotypes and guilty. And when I came, I flew into Omaha. Back then, the road kind of sort of took you down closer to downtown. I accidentally drove through the old market, was so impressed. Like, what is this place? This is great. And summarily met some wonderful people. And it was just a lot more of that something is drawing me here thing. I spent a week here visiting with him, visiting more of the area, flew back to L.A. and moved to Nebraska. And it's been good. Very good. The business of film has been a calling for you in many ways. It's, it's spoken to you and you found a passion and a talent for this field of work. What is the importance of commercial filmmaking for the broader community? 
That is a big question. Uh, I'll try to reduce it to a smaller answer. My first reaction is, I have hope for better, for more of filmmaking, film, whatever the definition of creatively assembling motion pictures to tell a story is. Commercially, it should have an economic impact. Commercially, uh, and, and not necessarily mean how well the movie may do at the box office versus a production company making the movie here, paying people to work on the movie here, spending their money at all local vendors from hotels to rental cars to construction equipment to lumber to bars and restaurants that will benefit from a crew being here. Many of them, by the way, get cash <laughs> that they will happily leave in your establishment. But we don't have that here because of a big issue in filmmaking currently, which is film incentives. It's, it's short answer is it's tax breaks for filmmakers. Nebraska is a conservative state and most often not as open to the discussion as, say, a, another more progressive state. The ones who have it in their state are doing well and are busy. Since we have no film incentives here, we are not busy. And what I speak of is major motion pictures being made here the entire motion picture. Even some of the ones that were recently filmed here, partially, they were very partially. And I could speak to downsizing, which was four days of production. Up in the air, I think it was three days. Now, at the beginning of the conversation in these movies, there was high hopes of shooting more of the movie in both cases. But again, incentives drove it. There are many commercials, TV commercials, that are still shot here. And that is really the bread and butter of not only myself, but most of my colleagues on the crew. That's how they make their money, make their living. And there are, uh, surprisingly, a fair amount of people in the state of Nebraska that actually make their living working in some sort of filmmaking. And filmmaking is a commercial photography or commercial uh, motion pictures. So you've mentioned incentives, 
is one component of this shifting from a state or a place or a community that is, shall we say, film forward. Uh, but I'm sure that's one piece of the puzzle. So are there other elements of this that if you could wave your magic wand, you, you would say these are the facets that would make a place film forward? One of the, another piece of those, those, that puzzle is, uh, and something that relates back to location scouting when I'm scouting, by the way, spoiler alert, not everybody wants filmmaking. And that could be the next location, that could be a community, that could be a city. And it could be anything from not interested, talk to the next person, or just not being aware of the benefits of the economics, the back-end tourism aspect of it. When an iconic location is used in a movie and the movie does moderately well and that location or locations are part of the story, tourists will show up later and frequent those establishments within that area. One single location uh, example is the baseball field in Iowa, which was from a movie shot 30 years ago. Uh, another example is Alexander Payne's movie Sideways. Not only did it impact a whole region of the United States and California, it impacted an industry of winemaking. These are some of the benefits of welcoming a movie crew. Uh, sure, it probably should be of entertainment and creative better versus, you know, the next horror movie or the next slasher movie, but horror movies are hot right now. Sure. Let's, let's say that we uh, hosted the last very successful horror movie. What that means is if the production comes, the movie is made, all is well, nobody got hurt, the production company goes away with a good feeling of the state, they will tell their friends, maybe they themselves will come back, maybe their friends will come, but Unfortunately, because of the no incentives thing, that's the gatekeeper in our modern world of major movie making. So it's hard to label a place film friendly if there isn't this complete package of awareness, interest, matched with incentives and other expressions that we take filmmaking seriously in, in this place. Yes. Um, other parts, well, other pieces of the puzzle include infrastructure, direct flights from Los Angeles, New York, uh, infrastructure again with having ample amount of equipment, 
having a solid, experienced crew, having the welcoming vibe by the city, having the flexibility to do things, uh, sometimes crazy request things. I want to shut down this bridge that everybody uses every day because we want to blow up a car or we want to fly a helicopter through two buildings. Uh, just some of the examples of any major city getting lots of film work are willing to do safely and, and all the, the, the things apply and everybody's invited to the meeting. But these are the things that, that, that have to happen well before the next movie says, you have to go to Nebraska. By the way, no movie, if there's no incentives, no movie is going to come here to Omaha to double New York or, or another major city. They're going to go there. They're going to come to Nebraska for our unique locations. The Sand Hills, the northwestern part of the state, recently uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs using, uh, from Netflix using the western part of the state. Again, for limited amount of time because of no incentives. But um, these are the things that we should be selling more because we don't have incentives. Once incentives, if incentives come, they will double cities because they're here already. But it's the cart before the horse, it's catch-22, it's every other metaphor you want to insert there. of commercials is, uh, and, and what I speak specifically is, of larger budgeted commercials that more fit into, a, say, a national style commercial, which have big budgets. Uh, they pay crew better than a movie. They're short-term work, but if our state could market to advertising agencies and clients, national brands, more than they can the next golden goose of a movie, they will be more successful and we will get more work. And it's a microcosm of filmmaking, of movie making, process-wise. So the crew then gets the practice, you're building your infrastructure, you're still paying people to learn, you're impacting those local vendors. It's an economic impact. Short term, but it's something. Um, so let's, why not do that? Um, I can tell you that some of commercial production companies are now hunting for incentives as well, and some states are, but back to us not having that thing, we can benefit from them uh, for other things. 
So Nebraska has rolled out a teaser invitation, which is Nebraska, honestly, it's not for everyone. And I know that you had a role to play collaborating with some of the visual expressions and, and promotional elements of that. To the degree that you can, would you talk about your experience working on that, especially as it relates to commercial motion uh, video capture in, in the state? I can't elaborate in general uh, only because, and this happens in, in many, when you work on high-profile projects from movies to commercials, sometimes you sign a non-disclosure agreement, which many film students don't realize that's coming. But uh, I personally like the new slogan. I think it's upfront and uh, abrupt enough to get people's attention, and it has already, and uh, the campaign actually has not even been released yet, and it has gotten so much play, which as the saying goes, no such thing as bad publicity, uh, but it's, it's, it's not even bad publicity. The, the thing that may hurt Nebraskans is, sorry, it is not for you. It is for people that hope to come here. It is for the door opener. How dare they say it might not be for me? Well, I'm going to go to their website and see what I can go see. Not everybody's going to do that, but maybe one person will or more. The state is big. The state is beautiful in many parts of it. It's very subjective, visiting, traveling. Uh, but I ask you, I ask everybody I speak to about this, when is the last time a state's tourism slogan made you decide whether or not to visit? The reality of it is there are always going to be those people that will not like anything you say or do. You have that collection. You have the pride and the niceness of Nebraska, which I am enduring uh, to and have met all these people and I, and I love them. Um, I love all the places here and I'm proud to live here and I'm proud to have worked in most part of the state and I want people to come here to, to see it. Much like m movie makers are not coming to Omaha to double Los Angeles as a city, visitors are not coming to Nebraska for the next microbrewery. They want something different. They want something unique to your state. They want something that they can enjoy and stay. Last year, the eclipse happened. That brought so many people here because of the event. But what happened was, and this is in the data that the state shared with us, that many of those people stayed longer because it's getting them here that's the trick. Because many people are much like I was before I ever came here years ago. They've played into the stereotype. What the heck is there? When you get them here, they like it and they go away with a positive impression of it. 
it is not so dissimilar to what we need to do with movie making. We need to get them here. When they get here, they will enjoy it and they will tell others and rinse repeat. You're clearly a very passionate protector and advocate of the integrity of filmmaking or the commercial craft of making uh, moving image products. So what should someone listening who is thinking about venturing into that or perhaps is so far just doing so at an amateur level, what should they do next to step up the game? The question is big and uh, the smart aleck in me would say, don't do it. Don't go into the business. Don't, don't be that. Just, just continue to shoot pictures on Instagram and use your phone and enjoy that. Becoming a filmmaker for art's sake, if that is your thing, go do that. Uh, back to the overuse of uh, uh, crutch cliches, just do it. Shoot. Uh, you can be shooting, go shoot right now. Shoot something, shoot anything. Write, write a story, write a script. Shoot, a, shoot, shoot your script, uh, make it short. Don't write the next big opus and then try to shoot that. Or, uh, which is even harder, try to get money to get it made. Uh, sure, there's, there's slices of joy still out there and I don't want to be a pessimist. I want people to do what they like. And if that is making a movie or picking up a camera and shooting wildlife or going to work in the coal mine, which, by the way, people are totally happy with that, and that's their thing, and I respect that, do that. Do what you like. Filmmaking is big. It's uh, zigzagging all over the place currently from making a movie to distributing a movie to getting your movie seen somewhere, somehow. There are many, many channels, devices. But if you have that one dream of making that one movie, it, do that. I, I would only wish for those people that you end up with great collaborators that become your friends and that you can make a movie by day and go to dinner at night and do it all over again another day. Live's radio show is supported by Humanities Nebraska, inspiring and enriching personal and public life by delivering opportunities to engage thoughtfully with history and culture. Learn more at humanitiesnebraska.org. To listen to this show again and to hear past shows, 
download the podcast at iTunes, search for Live's radio show with Stuart Chittenden, and leave a review while you're there to let me know what you think of the show. Today has been Jamie Versay. Thank you, Jamie, so much for being on the show. Thank you. That's the end of this week's show. The magnificent Marion Fay helped produce the show. Lives is an executive production of Squish Talks. I'm your host, Stuart Chittenden. Join me next week for more community, conversation, and the people that bring community to life. Thank you.